0: where you can find additional information and resources, as well as the episodes for this podcast. There is also a link on the website to the Facebook page for all things Plantagenet. Okay, so now on to the show. Section 19 of Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulet "Lives of the Queens of England, Volume two, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland, Philippa of Hainault, Chapter One, Part Two. Edward III commenced a furious war on Scotland in 1333. His faithful queen followed his campaign, but while the king laid siege to Berwick, Philippa was in some danger at Bamborough Castle, where she resided that summer. For Douglas, the valiant guardian of his young king, turned the tables on the English invader, and made a forced march to lay fierce siege to Bamborough, hoping that Edward, alarmed at the danger of his queen, would relinquish Berwick and fly to her assistance but Edward knew too well the strength of King Ina's castle broad and high, and the firm mind of his Philippa, to swerve from his designs on Berwick. Yet the temper of Edward was certainly aggravated into ferociousness by the attempt to capture his queen, and he was led by sudden passion into the cruel murder of the two young Setons. These unfortunate youths were the sons of the governor of Berwick, either given by him as hostages to Edward the Third for the performance of certain terms of surrender, or, what was still worse, were prisoners put to death, because their father would not surrender his trust. Either way, the act was atrocious. Perhaps it would have been prevented if the just and gracious Philippa had been by the side of her incensed lord. But Philippa was closely besieged in Bamborough, and her danger exasperated her husband into an act really worse than any performed by his stern grandsire, Edward I. The king knew that Douglas was no trifler in any work he took in hand. He therefore resolved, by a desperate blow, to take Berwick, and march to relieve his queen from the attacks of the Scottish regent. He certainly gained Berwick from the stunned and paralyzed father, but by the murder of the hapless youths, he forever stained his chivalric name. Douglas and Edward joined battle, not far from Berwick, soon after, and the Scots were overpowered at the disastrous Battle of Hallidon Hill. Edward, with his queen, afterwards triumphantly entered Berwick, which has ever since remained annexed to the English crown edward and philippa were in england during the winter of thirteen thirty four at the palace of woodstock on february the fifth the queen brought into the world elizabeth likewise called isabella the princess royal the queen undertook another campaign in the succeeding spring that year her father sent king edward a present of a rich helmet made of gold and set with precious stones with a remonstrance against wasting his strength in scotland where there was no plunder to be got when the same expense would prosecute his claims on France. The queen this winter became the mother of a second princess named Joanna. Philippa followed her lord to a third northern campaign. Her second son, William of Hatfield, was born in a village in Yorkshire in the winter of 1336. This infant lived but a few weeks. In the absence of Edward, the Scotch War was prosecuted by his only brother, John, Earl of Cornwall, with great cruelty. This young prince died at Perth, October the 5th, of a wound which he got in his ferocious attack on Lesmahago. When Philippa resided in the north of England, a circumstance occurred which is an amusing instance of monastic etiquette. King Edward had returned from Scotland, and advanced as far as Durham, where he established his lodging in St. Cuthbert's priory, near the castle. The queen traveled from York to meet and welcome him. She supped in the priory, and, thinking it was no offense, retired to pass the night in her husband's apartment. Scarcely had she undressed when the affrighted monks came to the door, and pathetically remonstrated against the infringement of the rules of their order, intimating that their holy patron St. Cuthbert, who during his life very sedulously eschewed the company of the fair sex, and would be direfully offended if one of them slept beneath the roof of his convent, however high her rank might be. The pious Philippa, distressed at the idea of unwittingly offending Saint Cuthbert, immediately rose from the bed in haste, fled in her nightdress to the castle, which was fortunately close by, and passed the night there by herself. The gout and other maladies put an end to the existence of Count William of Hainault soon after he had formed a league against France with King Edward, and with the wealthy father of his queen, Edward lost the liberal supplies, with which he carried on his warfare. The English people chose always to be at war, but they expected their monarchs to find the cost out of their private revenues and feudal dues, which were certainly not sufficient for the purpose edward was reduced to extreme poverty even in the commencement of his long war and obliged to pawn his queen's crown at cologne for two thousand five hundred pounds in the year thirteen thirty nine soon after the english people submitted not to a tax on wool but a tax of wool and subscribed thirty thousand packs of that commodity which being sent down the rhine to cologne redeemed philippa's best crown from thraldom During the whole of this reign, the crown jewels were seldom out of pawn, notwithstanding the wealth that the infant manufacturer of cloth was already drawing to the coasts of England. The prosperity that the Queen's colony of Flemish artists had brought to Norwich had been felt so early as 1336, when Philippa paid that city a visit, during her husband's progress to Castle Rising. She was received by the grateful citizens with all the honors due to a public benefactress." As vicar of the empire and head of the Confederate League of Germany, Edward III had his headquarters during several of the Flemish campaigns at Antwerp and Ghent, where his queen kept her court. At Antwerp, the third son of Philippa and Edward III was born November ninth, 1338. This prince was a true Fleming, being born at Flanders of a Flemish mother. In due time, Prince Lionel grew to be nearly seven feet in height, and, being athletic in proportion, was a champion of whom any country might be proud. The queen returned with this infant Hercules to England in the autumn of 1339, and in the ensuing year, King Edward paid a long visit to his unhappy mother in Norfolk, while Queen Philippa went to Norwich to visit her woolen manufactories. She found a vast number of the Norwich people, who, having been apprentices of Kemp and his followers, were establishing themselves in the profitable trades of weaving and dyeing. She was received with great joy, and favored the citizens with her presence from February to Easter. At the festivities of that season, her royal lord held a grand tournament at Norwich, where he tilted in person. In the spring of that same year, Philippa again sailed for the opposite coast and established her court at Ghent. King Edward, in the meantime, cruised between England and Holland, where he had a fleet of upwards of 300 ships. Philippa gave birth to her fourth son at Ghent on the midsummer's day, 1340, at the very time that her warlike lord was fighting his grand naval battle off Blankenburg. Next day... The king landed at Sluys, impatient to embrace his queen and her infant, and bring Philippa tidings of the greatest naval victory the English at that time had ever gained over France. Philippa's boy was John of Gaunt, afterwards so renowned as Duke of Lancaster. The interference of the mother of Philippa about this time occasioned a temporary cessation of hostilities between France and England. This princess, Just as the belligerents were about to engage, before Tournay went to her son-in-law and then to her brother King Philip, and kneeling before them, implored them to make peace and stop the effusion of Christian blood, the pacification effected by the mother of Queen Philippa for a while put a stop to this kindred warfare. It was indeed time for both the mighty Edward and his faithful queen were literally in a state of bankruptcy she had given up her crown, and all the jewels she possessed, which her royal lord had pawned to the Flemish merchants. But his wants were still so great, that to raise a further sum, he likewise pawned the person of his valiant kinsman, the Earl of Derby, who actually gave himself up to personal restraint, while Edward stole away with his queen, and the child she nourished, to Zealand, Here he embarked with Philippa and the infant John of Gaunt, attended by few servants. The ship was small, the weather stormy, and the royal passengers were in frequent danger of losing their lives. However, at midnight, december second, thirteen forty, they landed safely on Tower Wharf. Here the king found that three nurses, and the rest of the royal children, constituted the sole garrison of his regal fortress of the tower. The careless constable, Nicholas de la Bochet, had decamped that evening to visit a lady love in the city, and his warders and soldiers, following so good an example, had actually left the tower to take care of itself. The great Edward, who was not in the mildest of tempers, owing to the untoward state of his finances, took possession of the fortress of his capital in a towering rage. As his return was wholly unexpected, the consternation of Constable de la Bechet, may be supposed, when he had concluded his city visit. It was well for the careless Castellan, that the gentle Philippa was by the side of her incensed lord, at this juncture. About this time, the heart of the mighty Edward, swerved for a while from its fidelity to Philippa, and had not the royal hero been enamored of a lady of exemplary virtue, the peace of the queen might have been forever destroyed. Sir William Montacute, had been rewarded for the good service he did the king, in the beginning of his reign, by the title of the Earl of Salisbury. He had married the fair Catherine de Grasson, and received the castellanship of Wark Castle, whither he had taken his countess, who lived in retirement away from the court. In the meantime, Salisbury had been captured in the French War. His castle in the north, which was defended by his countess and his nephew, was besieged in the Second Scottish War by King David. When in great danger, young Montacute, by a bold personal adventure, carried the news of the distress of the Countess to King Edward, who was encamped near Berwick. At the approach of Edward, the King of Scots raised the siege of Warwick. The royal hero's interview with Catherine the Fair follows in the words of Froissart: The moment the Countess heard of the King's approach, she ordered all the gates to be thrown open, and went to meet him most richly dressed, insomuch that no one could look at her but with wonder and admiration at her noble deportment, great beauty, and affability of behavior. When she came near King Edward, she made obeisance to the ground, and gave him thanks for coming to her assistance, and then conducted him into the castle, to entertain and honor him, as she was very capable of doing." Everyone was delighted with her, but the king could not take his eyes off from her, so that a spark of fine love struck upon his heart, which lasted a long time, for he did not believe that the whole world produced any other lady, so worthy of being beloved. They entered the castle hand in hand. The countess led him first to the hall, and then to the best chamber, which was very richly furnished, as belonging to so fine a lady." King Edward kept his eyes so fixed upon the countess, that the gentle dame was quite abashed. After he had sufficiently examined his apartment, he retired to a window, and, leaning on it, fell into a profound reverie. The countess left him to order dinner to be made ready, and the tables set, and the hall ornamented and set out, likewise to welcome the knights and lords who accompany the king. When she had given all the orders to her servants, she thought needful. She returned with a cheerful countenance to King Edward and said, Dear sir, what are you musing on? Such meditating is not proper for you, saving your grace. You ought rather to be in high spirits, for having freed England from her enemy without loss of blood. The king replied, Oh, dear lady, you must know that, since I have been in this castle... Some thoughts have oppressed my mind that I was not before aware of, so that it behoves me to reflect. Being uncertain what may be the event, I cannot withdraw my attention. Dear sir, answered the lady, you ought to be of good cheer, and feast with your friends, to give them more pleasure, and leave off pondering. For God has been very bountiful to you in your undertakings, so that you are the most feared and renowned prince in Christendom. If the king of Scotland had vexed you by the mischiefs he hath done in your kingdom, you will speedily be able to make reprisal in his dominions. Therefore come, if it please you, into the hall to your knights, for dinner will soon be served. O oh, sweet lady, said King Edward, there be other things which touch my heart, and lie heavy there, than what you talk of. For in truth, your beauty is mean, and the perfections of your face and behavior have wholly overcome me, and so deeply impressed my heart, that my happiness wholly depends on meeting a return to my flame, which no denial from you can ever extinguish. O oh, my dread lord, replied the countess, do not amuse yourself by laughing at me with trying to tempt me, for I cannot believe you are in earnest as to what you have just said." Is it likely that so noble and gallant a prince as you are, would ever think of dishonoring either me or my husband, a valiant knight, who has served you so faithfully, and who now lies in a doleful prison on your account? Certainly, sir, this would not redound to your glory, nor would you be the better for it, if you could have your wayward will. The virtuous lady then quitted the king, who was astonished at her words, She went into the hall to hasten dinner. Afterwards, she approached the king's chamber, attended by all the knights, and said to him, My lord king, your knights are all waiting for you, to wash your hands, for they, as well as yourself, have fasted too long. King Edward left his apartment and came to the hall, where, after he had washed his hands, he seated himself with his knights at the dinner, as did the lady also. But the king ate very little, and was the whole time pensive, casting his eyes, whenever he had the opportunity, on the countess. Such behavior surprised his friends, for they were not accustomed to it, never having seen the like before in their king. They supposed it was his chagrin, at the departure of the Scots without a battle. The king remained at the castle the whole day, without knowing what to do with himself. Thus did he pass that day and a sleepless night, debating the matter with his own heart. At daybreak he rose, drew out his whole army, raised his camp, and made ready to follow the Scots. Upon taking leave of the countess, he said, My dear lady, God preserve you safe till I return, and I pray that you will think well of what I have said, and have the goodness to give me a different answer. My gracious liege, replied the countess, God of his infinite goodness preserve you, and drive from your noble heart such villainous thoughts, for I am, and ever shall be, ready to serve you, but only in what is consistent with my honor and with yours. The king left her quite astonished at her answers. The love of King Edward wandered from Queen Philippa, but for a short time, yet it was owing to the high principles of Catherine the Fair that he never swerved into the commission of evil. Queen Philippa, attired in the august robes of the new order of the garter, and attended by the ladies, whom the gallantry of King Edward associated with his knights, assisted her royal lord in holding the first charter at Windsor, on St. George's Day, 1344. Philippa kept the birthday of her mighty lord with great festivity at Woodstock in the year 1345. Here, in that sylvan palace, where she had spent the first years of her happy wedlock, did she find herself, in middle life, surrounded by a train of beautiful children, at the head of whom was Edward, Prince of Wales, then on the eve of winning his vast mead of renown. Philippa's protege, Chaucer, has in these elegant lines, described one lovely feature of the favorite retreat of his royal mistress. He speaks of a maple, that is fair and green, before the chamber windows of the queen, at Woodstock.